Good morning. They say confession's good for the soul. I woke up a little mad at y'all this morning. I had a dream. We were having a combined service. I'm serious. And the place was packed. And I, I knew it was going to be a little long. And I said, look, if y'all got things you got to do, you can go ahead and leave And while I'm preaching. And when I got to the end of the sermon, every one of y'all had gone. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to tell you today you can know. <laughs> It is things preachers dream, you would not believe, but um, it is good to see all of you. I watched you last week online with Josh preaching, did a great job, he always does, and so we're, we're glad you're here. Why don't, well, you've been welcoming each other, so let's don't do that again, but um, you can look at the worship guide. There are several things to pay, take note of. Um, the Valentines for the veterans' gift bags are being collected from the WMU. Please take part of that, and then... Sunday school training coming up for the adult teachers. And then our DU started last week. It's not too late to, um, to come. We had a lot of people here. And so you can notice the different classes that are taking place. Um, there'll be a change in the classrooms. I think Kim's class and, and Dr. Ed's class are going to ch- flip-flop. But other than that, the rest of the classes will be where they were. But we're, we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship? Yes. Psalm 136 is our call to worship. And... Um, If you read that psalm, it's 26 verses, and every single one of them end with, for a steadfast love endures forever. So let's try something today. Can we do a responsive reading? I'll read the first part of the verse, and you read, for his steadfast love endures forever, okay? You got it? So choir, help us out there. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for a steadfast love. Aren't you thankful for that? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your steadfast love. We praise you, and we worship you, and we honor you. And God, as we read your word, as we sing the word, as we come to the word, as we give in response to that of our lives and our finances and everything else, we just give you glory and praise. Thank you for today. Lord, we, we look forward to the new year, and as we think about this week and the weather that's promised, we just ask for your protection. We ask for you to watch over us and be favorable and give us grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the lie of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Stand and join our voices in worship as we sing a medley this morning of Oh, how I love Jesus, all that thrills my soul, and my Jesus, I love thee. Number 560, Oh, I love Jesus.
stand and join us as we sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. I started by telling you about a dream I had last night. I think it was the 3rd of January this year. We were in St. Augustine and right before I woke up I, I had a, another dream that I, I hope comes true. We were worshiping together as the body of Christ. We had a revival meeting. There was a guest preacher there. I could tell you who he was. He was. Matter of fact, I'm going to call him and see if I can't get him to come. But we began to sing. I was on the front row. And I can't, I can't explain it except to say that when we opened our mouths, heavenly music came out. I don't remember many of my dreams. I don't remember much at all. But I just remember in the dream that as we opened our mouths to sing, a sound of heaven was present. And we all fell on our faces. And we worshiped our Lord. 
And I woke up thinking about it. I woke up crying and saying, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. Let's worship him as he deserves to be worshiped. Thank you. Thank you for singing today. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you. I thank you for the pictures we have in the Bible of, of heavenly worship. I, I wonder if Spurgeon's not right that we'll sing many of the songs of earth in heaven. And I can't imagine the beauty of singing with the thousands upon thousands. The song we just sang, seeing Jesus at the right hand of you. We give you glory and we give you praise. You know the needs that we have. You know those who are battling sickness, those who are, who are battling grief, those who are in great need and wisdom and provision. You know each need we have, and so we lift them to you, and we lift our children to you and our children's children. We pray especially, Lord, for the prodigals and the lost. Father, we pray that you would draw them and bring them back to themselves that they might come home. When we look around us, we thank you for those who have gathered, but we, we remember those who, who aren't here, and we pray, Father, that you would bring them back and that we would welcome them with open arms. Make us one, we pray. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for what you have done in our midst and what you're doing. And we pray as we read your word that you would speak to us very clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I read the scripture, I just want to thank you. I, I, Josh mentioned this last week, but let me just let you know, last year we finished over $18,000 above budget. Our goal of $105,000 for Lottie Moon was met with $117,377.82. And I want to thank you for that. And, and every penny of that goes on the mission field. That's the most we've ever given to Lottie. And as far as I remember, that's the most we've ever given to Annie. We gave $59,345 to Annie Armstrong. So thank you for your faithful giving, and um, I hope that you will continue to do that this year. Colossians 1, if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 24 through 29. I'm not sure they'll all be on the screen, but verses 24, verse 24 is our focus, but I want to read the context of it. Now I'll rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Look at that. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Look at verse 24 again. That's our text. Now I'll rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. Look at that verse. What in the world is Paul talking about? I fill up um, in what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That seems strange to us, doesn't it, to hear Paul say that? This morning we come to one of the more disputed texts in the Bible. Denominations have developed theologies like purgatory over this verse. 
Let me just say to you, purgatory is a slap in the face of justification. When Jesus forgives us, he forgives us of everything and cleanses us and makes us not guilty. Paul says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I want to try to walk you through this. Um, I, I intended to preach all the way through the end of the text, but, but as I looked at this passage, I realized it, it, it's, it's a key verse for us to grasp. It's key to what he's going to say in the verses to come. It's connected to what he's just said, but, but, but I want to spend our time there and, and try to understand what Paul's saying, what Paul can't be saying, and what Paul means. And that's not going to be the three points in your outline, but, but I'm telling you, that's where we're going. What is Paul saying? What is it that Paul cannot be saying? And what does he mean when he says this? Just before we get to a statement about filling up, let's not jump over the staggering statement that he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul's wording indicates it's a daily decision to rejoice. Paul, that's your first point. Paul makes a daily decision to rejoice. Do you know anyone that rejoices in their sufferings? In sports, in music, even in the academic world, we, we have people who embrace the grind. They, they do what is necessary. They put in the toil. They, they put in the long hours to, to do what they're called upon to do, to be great. They, they press toward those goals. But, but do we rejoice in sufferings? As I studied this couple of weeks and, and looking at this passage, the scholars, the pastors, they all pointed to different verses that back up what Paul is saying. So I want to share some key verses that show us why we should rejoice in suffering, why we should make a daily decision to rejoice no matter what comes our way. We've been reading and we're going to read this year the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings and you heard David read those. But Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely on my account. Look at that. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when that happens. Rejoice and be glad. When you are reviled, when you are persecuted, when, when, when other people revile you, rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Jesus tells us that that suffering comes with eternal reward. That God rewards us when we rejoice in the suffering. That, that when we suffer for righteousness' sake, that God will reward us. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are arrested and they're beaten. In verse 41, we find these words, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing that they, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. We, we need to remember what someone has said. We can rejoice when we suffer because we know that it is an honor to be dishonored with Christ. It is an honor to be dishonored with Christ. Rejoice when you're persecuted. There's reward. Rejoice when you're dishonored because there's honor. Romans 5, 3. Paul says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Look at verse 4. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see that? We rejoice in our sufferings because they produce endurance. 
The endurance produces character. The character produces hope. And it doesn't put us to shame. This is an athlete grows and, and embracing the grind and, and going through the, 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 the daily ritual of struggling so that they can be better. Just as the musician, hour after hour until their fingers hurt, practice and practice and practice. We walk with the Lord knowing that the suffering produces something. It produces Christ-likeness. We're able to rejoice when we're called to die for the cause of Christ. Why? Because we've learned to rejoice in the small things. When we suffer in the small things, we rejoice. When we, when we suffer in the big things, we rejoice. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. We find something very, very similar to what Paul's just said. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Anybody give testimony to that? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. (laughs) Read the rest of 2 Corinthians and see what Paul calls light momentary affliction. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I was thinking about it. I came to you as a pastor when I was 35 years old. I had hair. Not on my face, but on my head. I could do basically what I'd always wanted to do athletically. I, I could do most anything. And I, I could read without glasses. I'll be quite honest with you, and I know... I'm 57, almost 58, and I got a long way to go. I know that. But I, I don't like this aging thing. I don't like not being, you know, used to be, you think about losing 10 pounds and you lose 10 pounds. Now you walk by a donut place and you gain 20. You know? But the thing I hate the most is, is having to use glasses to read. And there are times that I complain about it. I'll just be honest. I say, Lord, why can't you just heal my eyes and let me see so that I can read? And God always kind of whispers, your eyesight's going, but one day you'll see me face to face. It's It's the outer wasting away that causes us to focus on the inner That's being renewed day by day. It it reminds us of the glory that's coming. Look what he says. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And the sufferings of this life, the groanings that come with aging, the wasting away of the body, it prepares us for glory. So rejoice in it, he says. One more verse. It was a verse I preached in view of a call here. Philippians 3.10. Let me quote it from the NIV. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship, see that, of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You boil it all down, what Paul is saying is, is that Suffering for Jesus and learning to rejoice in those sufferings, they just bring us closer to Jesus. When we suffer for the cause of Christ, when we suffer because we're acting like Christ, it just draws us closer to Christ himself. So we rejoice in our suffering. And we don't have to be so afraid to suffer that we never step out in faith. We rejoice in it. Look what Paul says, though, in our text. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. For your sake. What he's about to say is, is that the suffering he encounters, here's, here's the second thing. The suffering he encounters is for the church. He's suffering for the church. And so we look at this and see that he rejoices in his suffering and 
And he's suffering for the church, for the body of Christ. So go back to our text. Now rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Let me say again, or ask again, what is he talking about here? Well, first, let's make sure we know what he isn't talking about, okay? That's your first sub-point. Let's look and see what he isn't talking about. Paul is not saying there's anything lacking in Christ's atonement. He's not saying that somehow your justification is not complete, so when you die, you have to go to a place and let the fire burn away all your impurity so that you can enter into heaven. What a terrible thought that somehow Jesus' atonement is not sufficient. That we have to do something more for redemption. Look at what Paul has said so far. Just three verses. Look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. To say that there's something lacking in, in the atonement of Christ goes against everything that, that Paul has said so far, everything that Paul will say in the rest of this text. and It goes against everything Paul says in his other 12 letters. There's nothing lacking in the atonement of Christ. Trust in Christ. Trust in what he has done, and he justifies you. He declares you not guilty. He declares you to be righteous with the righteousness of Christ, and he begins to sanctify you, and he will complete what he began and glorify you. So that's not what he's saying, but what is he saying? What is he saying? I read, I can't tell you, how many commentaries and how many people trying to figure out what Paul's saying. And, and I'll be honest, I was just as confused as I was before I read it. Because none of them answered the question. They dealt with it and they went around it. But, but like, what well, could be this or it could be that. But I, I'm, I'm going to give you credit for where credit is due. Um, John Piper has this little thing called Labs looking at the book, okay? And it's just, he takes a verse and he shows you how to study. You don't have to agree with everything Piper believes to benefit from, from those labs. I don't agree with everything he says. Let me tell you this. I don't agree with everything I said 20 years ago, okay? But I was watching. I went back finally and looked at the lab, and it just put it together for me. And so let me try to tell you what he's saying here and give credit to where credit is due. Look at the text again. Verse 24, James. Let's put it back up. And, and um, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. Two words here. I am filling up what is lacking. I want you to look at those two words. I'm filling up what is lacking. Those are two important words. The word filling up is, is really a double compound word. What that means is there's a verb with two prepositions in front of it. Two prepositions in front. And so he's talking about filling up. And it's the only time, here's the thing, it's the only time Paul uses this word in this form. So you can't go back and look at a bunch of other verses and see what Paul's saying. Because it's the only time he uses the word. But there's one other place that he uses that same verb with just one of those prepositions. Now just hang with me for a second. Here in our text, he uses a verb with two prepositions on the front. And another place he uses these same two words, filling up and lacking. He uses the same word, but just one preposition. So maybe we could learn from what he's saying. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2, verses 29 and 30. Just one page, one or two pages here. 
Paul has been talking about Epaphroditus. He's hoping to send Timothy to them in, in verse 19. And he's walking through and he, he says in verse 25, I thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger. They had sent, Philippians, Philippian church had sent him to him to minister to my need. Verse 26, for he was longing for you all. And he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill and that he was ill. Near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me. Lest that I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And he says, I'm more eager to send him, that you may rejoice and see him. Here's our verse, verse 29. So I receive him, so, no, excuse me, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. And here, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That word complete is the word filling up in Colossians. Risking his life to fill up what is lacking in your service for me. Paul uses that word filling up, a form of it, and the word lacking in Philippians and in Colossians. In Philippians, they wanted to serve Paul. He was their apostle. He brought the gospel to them. He, he brought the, the gospel to Macedonia. He preached to them. He suffered to get the gospel to them. And Paul's in prison, and they, they want to get to Paul. They want to minister to Paul, but, but they don't have an opportunity to get to Paul. They can't get there. So they send someone. They send someone on their behalf. Look at chapter 4, verse 10 of Philippians just one page over, chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. They, they couldn't show Paul the love that they had for him because they couldn't get to him. They wanted to minister to Paul. They wanted to minister to him. They had no way to do it, so they sent someone else on their behalf. They sent Epaphroditus to them, to Paul. Epaphroditus risked his life to show the love that the Philippian church had for Paul. He became the go-between. He, he represented them and showed them the love that Christ had and the love that the Philippians had. In Colossians, Paul's in prison. He He's never been to Colossae, but he wants to get to Colossae because he's heard what has happened. We're going to see it in the next two weeks. False teachers are moving in and trying to pull them away from the truth. Paul wants to get to them. He, he sacrifices for them, and we'll see how he sacrifices next week. He's, he's representing Christ to them as he suffers. He's not filling up what Jesus did. He's He's, he's trying to, to take the sufferings of Christ and bring it to them to show them what Christ has done for them. He's suffering for their good as Christ suffered for them. He rejoices as he suffers for them because he knows that his suffering is a display of Christ's love. When they see Paul suffering for them, they see the love of Christ through Paul. Church, when we, when we suffer to be holy, make no mistake, persecution is coming to the church. And when we embrace persecution and rejoice in it, when we are willing to embrace it and show the love of Christ, in it, when we give more than we can afford to see the gospel spread, when we give ourselves even unto death so the world can hear the good news, we are filling up what is lacking in his sufferings. We are identifying with Jesus' sufferings even as Jesus identifies with us. It's union with him. 
It's interesting that in Acts, when Jesus confronts Saul for persecuting the church, what does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul would have said, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting them. But Jesus says, when you persecute them, you persecute me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then just a few verses later, in Acts 6.16, God the Father tells Ananias to go to Paul, go to Saul. He says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus suffers with us when we're persecuted. But I want you to hear me. We suffer with him when we're persecuted. That's union with Christ. Michael Card tells a story that I'll close with. I think it puts all of this into place and tells us maybe a picture of what, what Paul is saying and what I'm trying to get across. It, it brings home because I, we just this summer were working with the Maasai. And Michael Card tells a story of a Maasai named Joseph. Joseph was walking one day on a hot, dusty road in Africa, and he was encountered by someone who shared the gospel with him. Joseph hears the gospel and receives the gospel. He's overwhelmed and rejoices in the gospel, and he immediately brings the gospel back to his local tribe. Joseph begins to go door to door with the people that he loved, the people that he grew up with. He, he goes door to door. He's telling everyone about the cross of Jesus and the salvation that it offers. But to his amazement, the, the villagers not only didn't care about what he was saying, but they became hostile. The men of the village, the Maasai men, seized him and pulled him aside and held him as the women of the village beat him with strands of barbed wire. They dragged him off into the village, out into the bush, and left him to die. Somehow Joseph managed to crawl to a water hole and gained and regained and came in and out of consciousness for days. And he finally found the strength to get up. And he wondered about the treatment of his people. He thought, maybe, maybe I got the message wrong. So he rehearsed it in his mind as the man had told him. And he, he said, maybe I left something out. Maybe they didn't get it all. And so he goes back to the village and, and he begins to share the gospel. He limped into the circle of huts. If you've been in Masai land, they build them in circles. And, and he began to proclaim Jesus. He said, he, he died for you so that so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God. Again, they grabbed him and they held him and the women beat him with barbed wire and they dragged him to the bush to die. To survive the first beating, as you know, would be remarkable. To survive the second beating was a miracle. Days later, Card said he, he returned to the small village. He limped back in he he couldn't believe it. They, they had to hear the message. And so he walks in, and this time before he even opened his mouth, they grabbed him. And they began to flog him with that barbed wire for the third and probably last time. He spoke to them of Jesus as they beat him. He pled with them to come to know Christ. And right before he passed out, he noticed that the women who were beating him were now weeping as they did so. When he awoke, he, he found himself in bed. The ones who had beaten him were now trying to save his life. The entire village had come to Christ. It was through his suffering. When they saw the suffering that he would endure, to get them the truth, they had to come to the conclusion there must be some truth to what he's saying. And they embraced 
Christ. Are we willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Do we suffer to be holy? Are we willing to suffer for him? Is Paul suffering? Is Epaphroditus suffering? Is the apostles suffering? Even as Jesus suffered. Are we willing to suffer? And not only suffer, but rejoice in the suffering. Because in the suffering, we're closer to Christ. I wonder if you'd bow your heads for a moment. Think of what Christ has done for you. I wonder today as you as you think about your vow to follow Christ we come to the new year we often make resolutions and, but as we think about our actual following of Christ I know we're, we're people we don't want to suffer we like comfort I do too. But to do the things that Christ has called us, to take up our cross and follow him, to deny ourselves, to seek first his kingdom, requires us to be uncomfortable and to suffer sometimes, to stay up later, to get up earlier, to turn some things off so that we can open up the Word. Those are small things. Father, first we thank you for your atonement. We thank you for what you provided for us at the cross. I thank you that if anyone would confess their sins and believe on Christ, they can be saved. They will be saved. I thank you, Father, that, that it's not by works that we're saved, but it's grace through faith. That you've done all that is necessary, and we, we can add nothing to that work. But Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us all to give more of ourselves to see that work spread. God, would you help us speak up when we ought to speak up? But also, I know for me, I need to learn to be quiet where I ought to be quiet. I don't always have to defend myself. We, we don't always have to fight back. We, we don't always have to do those things. We, we can turn the other cheek. We can, we can go the extra mile. We, we can deny ourselves in your spirit. And so, God, we, we think of the world before us, and the people who have never heard the gospel, and and many, they, they see no need to follow the gospel because they see no change in the church's life. And Lord, I don't know what it is you're calling us to do. But I pray that, that we'd be willing to step out and when we're persecuted, when we're reviled, that we would rejoice in our sufferings. that we would see honor in being dishonored with you. Help us, Lord. I thank you for each person that's here, and I ask you, Father, if you're calling us to do something, that you would help us to do that. I just wonder, before Ronnie sings, 
would you ask one simple question? It's a question we've asked over and over again here together. Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? Lord, speak to us about that and help us to be obedient, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. If God's calling you to do something public, Tim and I will be here to meet you. Our teacher told me finally, he says, John, if you're not going to practice, you're wasting your mama's money, my time, and your time. I wasn't willing to put in the practice. But I would embrace the grind Monday through Thursday on the practice field for Friday nights. I'd do whatever the coach told me to do and go through whatever he told me to go. And, and, and those are the days where they punished you by not giving you a water break. And, you know, and that doesn't make sense, but you did so bad you don't get water. But, but I did it because of Friday nights. Church, if we could just see what we're just saying, that one day we'll be on the streets of gold. It's all worthwhile. So press on. Keep fighting a good fight. Amen. We're going to let the doxology be our benediction. And so, Don, Ronnie, if you'll mind singing, Tim, be at this door. Ronnie will be there. I'll be in the foyer. The ushers will be at the door. Let me just challenge you with this. If every giving unit in our church gave $10 extra a week, we would more than go over our budget this year. Just $10. I promise you, that's three wings and a biscuit at Bojangles. <laughs> $10, okay? $10 a week, we can go over. Some of you may not be able to do that. Some of you will be able to go more. So as the ushers are there, please make sure you give as God has given to you. Let's sing the doxology. Bless the biscuit.